Father in heaven, you are always present with us and we believe that your word, which the Lord Jesus himself said, wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you'll be with us. And we believe and uh, accept that and are comforted by that. We pray that your word will go out this afternoon for a few more morsels to feed our weak and mortal bodies, my, our spirits. And we ask these things and invite thee in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> For this afternoon's meditation, um, turning to scripture, maybe we don't read that often, but it's not too long and too complicated. So let's uh, go to the first epistle of Apostle Paul to Timothy. First epistle of Apostle Paul to Timothy. And chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the commandment of God our Saviour and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. <clears throat> but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me Christ, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which would hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the king, 
eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honour and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I commit unto thee, this charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before unto, on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenius and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I've read the whole chapter. May the Lord bless the reading of the word. <clears throat> Paul wrote many letters to churches. And he wrote some letters, Timothy 1 and 2, um, Titus after Timothy, and Philemon to individuals that he had come across and that he had mentored. It's very interesting, I went through the chapters this afternoon to see what the greetings were like to the churches and to the individuals. In every church that Paul addressed, he gave a special greeting, grace and peace. Grace and peace. And Paul, being a Jew, was very familiar with greetings, spiritual greetings and blessings. In the Hebrew, it would be shalom. And we talked taught, uh, many times in the past that shalom is just not peace. Like peace be unto you, but it was a, it was a, a wishing for pro prosperity and success and harmony in their lives, to whom they came across. It's interesting in this chapter, and I looked at the next chapter too, the second letter, and the the letter to Titus when he's speaking to individuals that he really loved, and were dear unto him. He not only says grace and peace, but he inserts mercy. Grace, mercy, and peace. There's another element that he put in there. For whatever reason, I don't know, but he wished even more so, if you will, for individuals that he knew about and maybe knew their individual struggles and plights. So he said, mercy be unto you. You know, I greeted a couple of new um, trial ministers in, in Windsor, in Harrow yesterday, but they're from Windsor. And um, every time we greet a, a new trial minister, we almost, we say, we're so happy that you are a minister, but then again, we're sad in some ways because of the, the burdens you will face. You feel sorry that they will face burdens and difficulties in, in the ministry. And Paul uh, saw Timothy uh, of no, no exception here. He saw that Timothy was timid. He saw that Timothy was young. And Timothy had fears being a young uh, preacher. And it, and it seems that he was like an overseer, an elder in the church at Ephesus. And he left Timothy 
on his journeys, and he may not have been at this point in time an elder or a pastor, but he put him in this pastoral position as he was traveling through his missionary journey and he went on to Macedonia. He left Timothy there because in, he, he saw there was quite a lot of difficulties going on. And he didn't want to leave these churches alone or the church in Ephesus alone because there were difficulties that needed to be attended to. And he charged Timothy, uh, he says towards the end of the chapter, and I lay this charge upon you. A charge is like a, um, like a command, if you will, closest word I can think, a, a burden upon him that he needs to carry this out. He charged him before God to do this. Um, when, when one takes upon and accepts the, the appointment or the, this, the, the assignment of being a minister of the gospel, it's not something you can just take lightly and just say, I'm walking away. Many times when there's an elder ordination or even a minister is, is appointed by the church, we believe that God is the one that chooses. And if God chooses and you, and you say, no, I don't want the job, or I'm backing out of the job. You're wondering, are you going against the will of God by backing out? I'm not saying there are not exceptions. There could be, there could be illness, there could be all kinds of duress, and, and the, but it's a, it's a very important charge. Later on, you go into chapter three and it tells you all the qualifications for a bishop. And then for deacons, Titus, he does the same thing. So it's a very, um, grave, if you will, charge that one becomes a minister of the gospel if selected. And what did Paul say? You remember what he said? Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Because God said, Paul, you're going to preach the gospel. You're going to be sent to the Gentiles. And they're going to do all kinds of things to you. And he said that to Ananias, I'm going to show him what things he must suffer for me for the kingdom of God's sake. In 2 Timothy, uh, I believe it's chapter 1, 2, he, he says that, that a soldier that, uh, that is uh, assigned to his duties, he must endure hardship. He must endure hardship. And so Paul assigns I believe through the Holy Spirit, leaves Timothy in, in, in Ephesus to take care of a few things. And you can get hints what, what they could be. First of all, Paul says that he has been uh, made an apostle of Jesus Christ by the command of God in verse 1. As he was made an apostle, assigned by God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's the hope, Christ is our hope, to give us um, encouragement to endure the hardship, to know that there will be a blessed end. Hope is the expectations of good things. So when we endure hardships, we, you know, Romans 8 says we are saved by hope. What do you mean? I thought we were saved by grace. 
I thought we were saved by the blood of Christ. I, saw, I thought we were saved by faith. But he said, but we are saved by hope. But he said, but hope that is seen is no longer hope. For if we see it, why do we hope for it anymore? But this is the hope that, yes, the present may be hard and difficult, but the end is glorious. And it's that glorious end that keeps us going, that sustains us. In uh, Colossians, Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is not a hope that is wishful thinking. I hope I get this. This is a hope with expectations that you will endure and succeed in Christ. It's the confident expectation that the end will be well. And that's... Uh, that's something that I had a discussion with a couple of students this morning about, you know, the road now seems very difficult. It's tough, and, but, but in the end, you will succeed if you persevere, and then it provides for a better future as far as education is concerned and getting a job. But our hope should not lie in the things of this earth. It should be lie most mainly in the things of God, because the things of this earth are temporal, we read in 2 Corinthians 4. He writes to Timothy, and he, and he gives him endearing terms, grace, peace, and uh, mercy, and peace be from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this morning we announced the, that uh, our dear friend Sid is now a friend of the truth. He's a waiting baptism, he's believed in Christ and he's ready to, to be baptized. And we normally give friends of the truth, what we call um, a blessing, the privilege of greeting other brothers and sisters and other friends with a, a special greeting, grace, um, God bless you. In, in the Serbian and, and maybe other languages too, they have a longer extended greeting, God bless you and keep you for life eternal. Um, in the early church, the greeting of the believers in that, in, that, in that period of time was the Lord has risen. That, that was the big thing. Christ had risen from the dead and they identified themselves with the fact that they could tell each other. And I'm not sure where that came from, whether they, it was a code. It was true, but was it a code for believers to say, the Lord is risen and then the other person would say, in return, the Lord is risen in indeed. Because we are marked by the risen Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So, he gave him a charge in, chapter, in, in, in verse 3. I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Obviously, the, one of the main reasons that Timothy was left in, 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 in Ephesus was because there were all kinds of doctrines swirling around. There was all kinds of winds of doctrine that later on is said also in, in his epistles that are swirling around. We know, as a matter of fact, that even in our age, even in the time in which we live, there's all kinds of false teachings about Christ, about Christianity. 
there have been meanings of scriptures changed. There have been introductions of new teachings. There have been um, all kinds of teachings given so that people can themselves benefit financially from. And in the early church, one of the most prevalent false teachings was that Christ, in fact, did not come to earth in the flesh. Christ, the Messiah, the one that was promised by God, did not die on the cross. He couldn't have. That, that means he wasn't really God. Muslims believe that today. That Jesus did not die on the cross. And that he was switched And there was teachings here, all kinds of... And, and if, you, if you've read through the early church fathers, there's all kinds of false pseudo-gospels, false teachings, heresies going on. And several of the early church fathers would have... Um, their own writings would say, add um, her heresies, against heresies. I forget what Latin word was used, but they'd be had specific chapters of apologetics against the lo the, the the current uh, winds of doctrine that were coming out, and they had no different in Ephesus as well. Some of the main other teachings that were going on in this time, you can read Colossians as well, and you can read the 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 book of John the. Letters 1, 2, and 3. But some of the false teachings, Galatians, were, were, were those of Judaic uh, Christians. Those that became Christians from the Jews, but still maintained you had to keep the law in order to be, to be accepted by God. And these were so um, rebuked by the apostles that in Galatians he called them you know, who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians? Having begun in the spirit, you're ending in the flesh. You know, you start, you, you, you're saying that we've got to circumcise our, that uh, um, the foreskins of your flesh, according to like Abraham was told. Uh, but this was a, a heretical teaching that you were justified by the laws of Moses which was dealt with in Acts chapter 15 already. But they, it kept on coming back. They didn't give up. They, they, they re, did not relent on giving up on that teaching. And so he had here, neither give heed to fables, endless genealogies, which minister questions, rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. When, the, when they were talking about genealogy, what is a genealogy? It's all about the, the line of, uh, the, the, of, of people. The genealogies of, of uh, the Old Testament talked about how, you know, Adam begat Cain and Cain begat and so forth. And he went all the way down and they come down. We've got genealogies in the first uh, Gospels. Talked how, how Christ came from the early uh, Israelite patriarchs down to, to, to Joseph and to Mary and he was born. And many people can take a lot of pride in where they came from. And they come from a lot, you know, this 
elite line of, of, of people or patriarchs. And, and they may even, I've even heard today that there's certain individuals that believe we, the Serbians came from the Jews and therefore we are a special line. I haven't heard of that. What does it matter? That just genders questions. It we, doesn't make me any more special. I'm just a sinner like anybody else. But some people believe that. And some people believe that we've got to go back to Israel because we are, basically, we are the new, under the new Jewish covenant. That's what Jesus did. Because he came for the Jews. Just ministers questions. Who's better? Who's got the most royal blood, if you will? He says, leave, that, leave those, those things alone. They don't figure or count into our salvations. Don't go into things that we don't even understand. What's the point of talking about things and getting involved with arguments and, and all kinds of um, pointless discussion when they do not in any way factor into the salvation of our souls? They just minister questions. But do things that are godly and edifying, which is in faith. Do them, he said. So do. And what it boils down to is, if you look at it, we go back to the pure and simple gospel of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You remember the discussion between Jesus and the Jews when Jesus opened the eyes of the blind? And he went back and forth. We know that this man's a sinner, but how could he perform these uh, miracles? And the, the blind man said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I just know my eyes are opened. And I believe. I thought, it's exactly what the Apostle Paul says to, writes to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, look among you, brethren. There are not many noble, there are not many mighty, there are not many wise but God hath chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe that's what's all going that's all the only thing that's going to matter when you die when I die that we believe the plain simple gospel of Jesus Christ and obey it and what's what's the end of all these genealogies all these you know, today we get these, what you call these, all these, um, this, is, this is very important and pertinent. We got all these conspiracy theories. And it sort of destabilized some people. You know, why did COVID come in? Who started it? And what's Bill Gates trying to do with this? He wants to control world population. And what about this? And what about that? And it stirs up the people and they get him into a panic. And there's protests and all these movements that come around. Why do we get involved with things like that? Why do we even believe things like that? Why? How did it save anyone in the past? There's a danger in trying to understand every single uh, nuance that comes out, every single rumor, every single news thing. Just because it's published on black and white doesn't make it true. Doesn't make it authoritative. Anyone can publish anything today on the internet. And then people say, look, look what he's saying. And people do it for their own benefit, for their own financial gains. How many likes you get on Facebook or, or YouTube. 
You make money, so they publish it. We have to be very careful, loved ones, that we don't follow the crowd, follow the Bible. You don't have to know everything that's false out there to know which way to go. You just got to know what's true, and you'll identify the false when you come to it. Like counterfeit money. If you know what the true money looks like, you don't have to worry about what the fault, you'll, you'll know, at least the, those that count the money, they say, we don't have money anymore, by the way. We don't really have a lot of cash anymore. It's all cashless. But back then, that's how they would identify the, 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 real, the real deal, the real money, by knowing what the real money feels and looks like, and they can identify what is false. He says, now the end of the commandment, Though you get all these questions and genealogies and conspiracy theories and false teaching, the, the real purpose, that's what he means by the end, the real end of the commandment or the real purpose of the commandment that God gave us is charity. Do you know that? What, were the, what, was, what did Jesus say the law was all built upon? On what commands? Those two, we mentioned it this morning, right? Love your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He says the real end of the commandment is charity, true charity, out of a pure heart and a faith unfeigned. So the end of the, the, the reason that the law was brought in, if you look at the Old Testament, yes, it does distinguish between holy and unholy. It does distinguish between clean and unclean. But if you look at the big picture of the law, it says this is how you are to love your God, the first four commandments, and this is how you are to love your fellow man, the last six. It's all about the relationships between, between human race and the last six commandments, and the first four is how it regulates the love between you and your God. You don't have any other gods before you. You don't bow down and worship them. Keep the Sabbath holy. Don't don't, don't use the name of God in, in vain. That's your relationship with God. You treat him with respect, with holiness. He's the only one, the one and only, holy, no other like him. And the last six about don't kill, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother, don't covet. All these have to do with how we are to treat our neighbor in, in, in broad terms. Then he goes into the, into the actual uh, a Torah into the other chapters and tells you how you, he, he codifies it, how, what it means then. What if you do offend your neighbor? What do you do? How do you, how do you make up for it? What, do you sh- what should you pay your neighbor back if, you, if, you're asked, if your uh, ox gores somebody's donkey and so forth? He tells you how to do it, how to make restitution. But in broad sweeping terms, don't kill. Treat him. And, and Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, what that even means even deeper, it just doesn't mean don't kill. It means don't even be angry with your brother. Because to be angry with your brother and to hate your brother makes you a murderer, John says. So he says the end of the commandment is really charity out of a pure heart and of good conscience and of faith unfeigned we mentioned this morning the principle of loving your neighbor that you desire that whatever men would do 
you would want men to do unto you, you do it to them. Whatever you want men, however you want men to treat you, you would treat them. It doesn't say, do unto others as they do unto you. I, I got that once. So if some, someone slaps you, you slap them back? No, it doesn't say, that's not what Jesus said. He says, as you would have men do unto you, you do unto them. And you wouldn't want any man to slap you. Or you wouldn't want any man to mistreat you. So you can see that the law was good and holy and just, as Paul says in Romans chapter 7. The law had a purpose. The law had a, had a purpose to, sh to show us how sinful we are and to point us to the one that can save us and give us power over sin. And he said, some that have turned away from this kind of teaching have swerved and turned aside to vain jangling. Just blah, 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 blah. That what they say is, means it's vain. It doesn't help. It doesn't help you. It doesn't edify. It doesn't build up. As a matter of fact, it genders more questions. And some people that have, having followed these teachings have brought upon themselves many sorrows. They've swerved. They, di they digressed. And there are these that do these kinds of teachings, that say all these things. They desire to be teachers of the law, and they understand neither what they say nor where, what, where, what they affirm. They don't know what even they're talking about, he's saying. But he said, we know that the law is good, as long as you use it lawfully. I've never seen a definition within a definition but it says here, the law is good if we use it lawfully. If we use it the way we, it was intended to be used. The Jews completely um, corrupted the law, turned the law into something that was not intended. We, we went through that in, the, in Matthew 15, when the disciples were told, you know, they accused Jesus, look at your disciples, they're not washing their hands before they eat, they don't do this, they disobey the elders' commandments. They disobey the commandments of the elders. And Jesus said, you, by your tradition, have disobeyed the commandments of God. We have to be very careful when people follow a man. There could be a, over a billion in a, in, in a specific denomination that they follow one man. And they don't follow the Bible as much as they follow the, the writings of that man. There's been cults that have been formed that way. Knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for unholy, profane, for murderers, for of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. You know, when, when you approach people with these, with these uh, verses and say, does God oppose homosexuality? It's written in several places that God abominates anyone that sleeps with a man as he sleeps with a woman as he lies with a man as he does with a woman it's an abomination to him and now you have so-called pastors and teachers are saying it's okay 
As long as you love, God wants us to love. And he never said any. And they twist and pervert these scriptures. And now it's no longer the word of God. It's the word of man that people are following. Because they come across with smooth words, misrepresenting God as God only loves people. He doesn't want to do any judgment or discipline or punishment. But, and then people get lose their jobs because of their position. They, they get re- rejected from various societies or the, work, the society itself. You're a hater. You hate people. No, I don't. I love them. I'm telling them, because I love them, I'm telling them, if you want to escape the wrath of God, the punishment of God, you need to hear what he says, what he thinks about these things. says here for men stealers for liars for perjured persons and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine we need to abide by sound doctrine because Paul writes later on to Timothy and he says that the church is the pillar in the ground of truth if we maintain it the true church of Christ is a pillar and the ground of truth. And unfortunately, many have forsaken the ground of truth because they've become their own authors. They've become their own uh, uh, authorities and not taking the authority of the word of God. He says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. He said, God accounted him as trustworthy. And, and this, we heard this morning about the steward. He gave him custodianship of the gospel in his care that he would... He would correctly and faithfully carry out the ministry. God put him there. And we have that authority to preach the word of God. Even if someone were to haul me out of this place today because they heard this on the internet, so be it. So be it. That's the cost of discipleship. Why should I have it any better than our forefathers? Why should I have it any better than the apostles? Why should I have a better any better than the, the, the prophets who suffered for telling the truth? Because Hebrews says that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name. And then he says this. He counted him faithful, even though before he was a blasphemer. Paul was a blasphemer. The Apostle Paul was a blasphemer. He spoke evil of the way of Christ. He spoke evil of Christians. And he said injurious. He injured Christians. He harmed them. He put them in prisons. And not only that, he killed them. Not he personally, but he gave command to be stoned, Stephen and others that refused and rejected his 
his demand that they stop their preaching. But then he said, but I obtained mercy. But I obtained mercy. When he saw his wrong, when he saw his great sin, when he met Jesus on the way to Damascus and he called him Lord, he said, you know what, I did this ignorantly. I didn't know what I was doing. I knew I was stoning the, the Christians. I knew I was killing and injuring the Christians. But I really wasn't fully aware of who this Christ was. And finally, when he revealed himself, when he showed himself, when he specifically, directly gave me revelation of, of who he was, not just on the road to Damascus, but in other places, he revealed himself to the Apostle Paul, he realized, I did this ignorantly. And now I realize how gracious the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. And he could, of a personal testimony, give now first-hand evidence of who this Christ was. His own first-hand evidence. This is a faithful, faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. You should really receive this and accept this. This is true what I'm telling you. I went through it. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief now when we realize that and we we can truly say that that i was this great sinner that i was an enemy of christ that i disobeyed him uh, it is so much easier and i realize his grace to me it is so much easier for me to be gracious unto others. We heard that this morning. When I know how much I was forgiven, then who am I not to forgive others? When Christ was purely innocent, yet he died for my sins, who am I to withhold forgiveness from others? You can go down to... Then the, the uh, other chapter on the individual he wrote to Philemon. When he laid a charge upon him to forgive Onesimus, the runaway slave. You know, he said, if this is hard for you to think, I'm just paraphrasing, just think how much has been done for you. Think how much you owe me, Philemon what I've done for you. I'm asking you a favor. I'm asking you to please consider what I said about forgiving Onesimus. How much more Christ? In Ephesians chapter four says, be ye kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. How can you stare at that? And not do likewise. How can we stare at that and not do likewise? Are we above what Jesus did? Are we above that? How be it, for this cause I obtained mercy. This is the reason I obtained mercy. That in me, 
First, Jesus Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern. This is a template. This is the pattern that he wants us all to follow, that look what happened to me. Look what he did for me, as big a sinner as I was, that in me Christ might show forth all long-suffering for a pattern to them which would hereafter believe to life everlasting. So if you say, oh, my sin is so great, God can never forgive me for my sin. Number one, you're rejecting what God said about him forgiving for your, your, your sins. You're saying your sin is too big for our great God. This God is not great enough to forgive my sin. This God is not gracious enough to forgive me for my sin. Paul said, look, look how great a sinner I was. Look what he did for me. How many people did he kill? We don't know. He didn't say. But he felt so unworthy, he called himself the chiefest of sinners, though he did the most, if you will, for the gospel individually, that God used him the most when he, when he went to all these different countries on all these different mission, uh, missionary trips and preached the gospel. And he says, look what happened to me. This is a pattern. You've got to believe it. If God can do it in me, he can do it in you. To them which hereafter should believe on him to everlasting life. Now, this last statement is so great and monumental. Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He worshipped God at the end of this chapter. He lifted him up. He was the only king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God to be him be honor and glory forever and ever. And he says, you know what, Timothy? I commit this charge to you now. You need to go on. You need to take this charge from God as your utmost command, your utmost charge, according to the prophecies which went, on, which went before on thee. Now, I'm not sure what this means, but probably it means that at the time that he was ordained a minister, or even an elder, depends when this uh, uh, timeline, where in the timeline we are, he says, there were prophecies. We have many times, we have an ordination service where charges are laid upon the, the elder, the elder elect, and they are charged individually. The church, the elder and the wife of the elder are charged on what their responsibilities are before God. This is done before God and he says and, and while that is being said perhaps this is the prophecies that he's talking about the charges that were laid upon him at that time that thou mightest war a good warfare holding the faith and a good conscience which something having, having uh, put away they discarded concerning the faith have made shipwreck. Their lives 
have become shipwrecked before God because they abandoned the gospel, they abandoned the, the, abandoned the teachings. And he gave an example of two people, Hymenius and Alexander. And he said that the reason he put these people away, he excommunicated them from the church. The word uh, delivered to Satan is uh, another phrase which was used in 1 Corinthians 5, which I'm sure Brother Edmund's gonna come across is, is uh, to put away, to be disconnected, no longer in the realm of the saints, but in the realm of the devil. And again, that he may learn. Perhaps this is the last line of defense, the last line of hope, that if, if he doesn't learn from the admonition, from the church, from the Holy Spirit, then he's cut off and put into the realm of the devil. The First Corinthians 5 says, for the destruction of the flesh, that they may learn not to blaspheme. It's a way, if, if there's any hope for people that have turned their backs on God, and there's so many that have been professing Christ all their lives, and all of a sudden they flipped, and they follow each other, and they deny God, they made a big in the music industry or they made a big in, the, in, in their quote-unquote ministries, but then they publicly want to declare that they've turned their back on God. Called apostates. And the Bible says here, deliver them to Satan. Jesus said, when we put our hands to the plough, don't turn back. Don't turn back. He says, for whoever puts his hands on the plough and turns back, he's not worthy of him. And if he's not worthy of him, he will have no part in the kingdom. I pray that every one of us will take the gospel seriously. That the gospel and the Christian walk is not just another aspect of our lives. It should be the focus and the center of our lives. It should be something that, you know, you heard the saying today, that's not a hill I want to die on. The gospel is a hill we want to die on because Jesus died on a hill. Jesus died on a hill. Are we willing to take up our cross as we heard in Matthew 16? Follow him, take up our cross and be willing to die on the hill of the gospel. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. I wonder how we would fare in the early church. when we were told that you either offer incense to Caesar or you die. You would think that the church would have shrunk because so many people would have just ran, but no, it grew, it grew. 
because they had a deep faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There were some that did flee, but the, chief, but the church grew in leaps and bounds. And as the saying went, that the blood of the martyrs became the seed for the church. Because I think in it, people were realizing this has to be true. Why would somebody give their lives up for a myth, for something that wasn't true? That's why the, the resurrection was such a credible event. So many people believed because they were, many were eyewitnesses of that. And others then saw that they were not willing to flinch or to give up or to flee when the wolf comes. But their testimony was that they believed so much that they were willing to take up that cross and die on it. And they become that pattern for those that were to follow. My prayer is that we would see the fleetingness of this life, the true vanity of this life, and that there's a much higher purpose in calling for us to follow Jesus Christ no matter what. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.